It's uh, so good to be here and worship with you. My name is Alyssa. I'm one of the pastors here at Central City, and um, I don't normally sound like this, but I got a cold this week. Great timing, right? Um, so I was talking to someone on the phone yesterday, though, and she said that throughout the conversation, my, fo- my voice got better. So if you can't understand or hear me now, hopefully by the end, you'll be able to hear me, and it'll be fine. So we'll just wait till then. Um, but before we get into the sermon, um, I am excited to announce um, another team leader. So we are building our leadership team here at Central City. We're only like eight, nine weeks in. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, we announced our City Kids uh, team leader and our worship team leader. And this week, I get the privilege to announce um, our transition team leader, Lee Fisher. Lee, wave. He's back there. Yeah. So our transition team sets up and tears down each week. So we have, um, you walked by it this morning, our children's and our nursery space. Um, We move all the tables that the theater has here, and then we um, set up that space, and we put out the parking signs. Uh, We set up the stage and all of our sound equipment and everything. And so Lee is going to be our team leader for organizing that, for getting the volunteers, making sure that we have everything we need to do that each week. So if you're interested... And this is just a, you know, plug while I'm at it. Um, If you're interested in helping set up or tear down each week, um, you should talk to Lee and he'll get you right in there. Um, We're also, uh, as we're building this leadership team, we are also um, looking for some other leaders for our our welcome team who uh, work with greeters and our coffee and everything like that, Um, our and an outreach team who will be planning events and doing some outreach, letting the Grandview community know that we're here. Um, And we're also starting uh, to work with our local missions team as well as we get into uh, the winter. So if you're interested in being a part of one of those teams or in leading one of those teams, um, we'd love to to have a conversation with you. You can mark it on your Connect card if you haven't already turned that in or just shoot me an email um, later. Uh, Well, as we get into the sermon, let's pray. God, this morning, um, we just quiet ourselves here to listen to you. God, speak to each of us. Speak in ways that, um, that we can hear, that we can understand. And God, give us courage to, uh, to listen and to act as you are calling us. May all of our thoughts and our actions, and the words of my mouth, and all of our mouths, um, be pleasing and glorifying to you. You are a rock in our salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we are starting a sermon series called Leading Change. Um, Leading change in yourself, in our church, and in the city. Now, ultimately, I believe that it is God who is doing the change in me in our church, and in our city. So the real question um, that, that this series that we're talking about is, what is my role? What is your role in leading change in yourself, in the church, and in the city? So um, hopefully that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. We know that God is empowering us and giving us the grace in order to, to work through and to lead change. And so what is my role in doing that? Now, leadership can sometimes be scary. 
You might be thinking, oh, I hate that term. That's like buzzword. People are always talking about leadership. Or you're like, I'm not a leader. Please do not call on me. I do not want to tell anybody what to do. So um, I, I've seen this TED Talk a couple times, and you might have seen it too. It, um, it was a TED Talk in 2010, and it's called How to Start a Movement. And I think it really clarifies what we're talking about here as um, as leading and what that looks like. So um, it's just a fascinating commentary on leaders and followers. So let's look at, uh, let's watch this short video. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. So it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut, and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd, and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers, because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point, and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, Remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. Some of you have probably seen that before. <laughs> so now we can all go home. That's the sermon. Um, no, but he says, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. Have you ever tried to work in a group where all of you are leaders? 
really ineffective. Nothing gets done. So the best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. And this is really the movement of the church. We are all followers of our leader, Jesus. And we, as followers, are showing others and helping others learn how to be followers as well. So this is what today is all about. Followers emulate followers. And so if other people are going to start following Jesus, they're probably going to do so because they see us following Jesus. And so the change that happens in our church and in this city is going to happen because of the change that first happens and the change that we first do in ourselves. So this week, we're talking about leading change in yourself. All leadership, I once heard, begins with self-leadership. All leadership begins with self-leadership. All change begins within oneself. President Obama put it this way, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. If any change in our community or in our city is going to take place, it must begin with me, with you. But I do want to acknowledge that change is hard. Change sucks. Let me just tell you. Anybody here love change? A couple people. You're all entrepreneurs, though. I look around. <laughs> you are all entrepreneurs. Change is not most people's favorite thing. I've had some seasons where I've welcomed change. It's, you know, I'm ready to change. It's good. I'm excited to do the work that I know I need to do. But most seasons, I am not like that. I do not like good forward-moving change. I am comfortable right where I am, and I'm just leaving one of those seasons. Let me tell you, just heading into change, it's not comfortable. But... Um, the self-help guru guy that some of you might have heard of, his name is Tony Robbins. Anyone heard of him? These business people have. Okay. Um, he said that change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. The pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Have you ever experienced this kind of pain? <laughs> This pain, the pain of staying, sometimes it can get really painful. But ultimately, the pain that, that causes us to change is great, is, is good work. Uh, Gandhi is attributed with saying, be the change you want to see in the world. Now, there's a lot of change that I want to see in the world, I want to see less violence, less selfishness, less pride. But I know that I have a lot of work to do in myself to not be an angry, selfish, prideful person. And I can only lead people into change or growth as far as I've led myself. I don't, if I don't know what it's like to be less angry, I can't help this person over here be less angry because I'm probably going to be yelling at them. And that's probably not a good example. All leadership is self-leadership. All change begins with me. So throughout this series, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to be studying the book of Romans, chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, or if you have your smartphone, um, you can look it up. I know we, um, we're still new at this, and so we forgot to pick up the updates. So when you walked in, all you got was a connect card. 
And if you're new today, you, that's normal. <laughs> but if you've been here before, we usually have a card where it ha- you, has space to write notes. Well, we forgot to pick those up. Um, so if you, if you go on your smartphone on the Bible, on the YouVersion Bible app and go to our event, there's a place to take notes in there as well. Or like someone said, just pull up your notepad on your phone. Um, but Romans chapter 12, um, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at, um, we're just going to be digging into these, this whole chapter. And this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's, it's so practical. It's almost like a to-do list. And I love to-do lists. Um, this chapter begins by focusing on the internal community of the church. And it slowly moves to um, how the Christian community interacts with the surrounding world. And so over the next three, three weeks, from leading change in ourself to our church to the rest of the city, we're going to be following that movement of the text. So today we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can follow along on the screen because I'll have the verses up there as well, or you can follow along on the app. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read them right now. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, before we look at these verses in particular, I want to share a little bit of background on the rest of Romans. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of the book, and you're like, well, what's the rest of the book about? So the Apostle Paul, um, he was one of the first followers of Jesus in the, in, the, in the church, and he is writing this letter to a new church start in Rome. It was most likely started by Jewish followers of Jesus who um, they had heard about They had heard about Jesus, and they were at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on thousands of people. And so they went back to Rome, and they started this church. They told all their friends about this Jesus guy. Um, And none of the original disciples nor Paul had ever visited this new church. So Paul, being the great defender of the faith, as he's known to be, um, he wanted to introduce himself to this church and hopefully visit someday, although he never got the chance to. But he wanted to introduce himself to this, ch- to this church as well as share some foundational information about the gospel and the life of a Jesus follower. So side note, we're looking at a new church start in Rome. Um, Jesus started a movement of followers who continued the movement by starting new churches all over the world. And they continue this to this day. Central City Church is a result of faithful followers who started new churches thousands of years ago. And we are just continuing that movement. This, and this is who we want to be, faithful followers who continue the movement of starting new churches, of, of uh, helping people follow Jesus all around the city. And so we'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. But... Um, So back to the book of Romans. So this first part of the letter, chapters 1 through 11, are very theological. Um, Paul is explaining uh, what to believe as new Christians. He talks about um, this sin of humanity, forgiveness through Christ, uh, freedom from sin. He's talking about what it means to be a Jewish follower of Christ or a a Gentile, a non-Jewish follower of Christ. So he's very theological. It's like you almost go to seminary when you read the first um, 11 chapters of Romans. 
Some of the well-known verses in the first 11 chapters that you might recognize are Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Adam mentioned that this morning. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul's getting into some, some really interesting things here, and I just took these all out of context. They're like those great verses that you write on your wall, on your Facebook wall, and you're like, yeah, this is my, this is my life verse. So these are all um, people's life verses, I'm, I'm sure. There's a lot more of, of these verses that you've probably heard of, but but for Paul, his theology, his faith, what he believed about Jesus directly affected his ethics, his morality, how he, how he acted. And so because of everything he believed about Jesus, he responded in particular ways. And this is what he wanted to communicate to the people in Rome, to this new church, these new Christians in Rome. So they, they were having some certain conflicts within their community. And so Paul addresses those within the theological chapters. But then he also, because of these theological foundations that Paul laid out to them, he now gives them, as we're going to read in chapter 12 throughout the next couple weeks, he now gives them an ethos for their community and a, a set of ethics for their community to live by. And he moves them from theological to the practical. Now that we know this, what are we going to do about it? So let's see, let's dig into the these two verses. Yes, we're going to spend the rest of the time on two verses. It's going to be so exciting. Verse by verse, or line by, well, not even, it's like little section by section. But anyways, so therefore, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, if we would have read the rest of Romans before this, we would know what God's, what mercy he's talking about. It's very specific. He says, he says in Romans 8.32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's the mercy that Paul is talking about. Knowing what God did for us, sending his son himself, his own son to earth for the purpose of sacrifice on the cross, for the forgiveness of our sins and the reconciliation between humanity and God. This is the mercy that, that Paul is talking about. In view of this mercy, because we know this about God, if you believe this, what do we do about that? How does that translate into how we act? I can know a bunch of stuff about God, but what does that mean for me? So Paul suggests that our response is to offer our bodies. He says, in view of God's mercy, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So the Greek word used here um, for offer, it's a, it's a peristeme. I, I listen to it. I'm like, yeah, I can say that. And then I try and say it out loud and <laughs> it doesn't come out as well. Peristeme. Um, and this means to present or to place at one's disposal. Because I know and I believe what God has done for me, my response is then to place myself at God's disposal, all of myself, my body, just as Christ gave his body, my body is now at God's disposal. And that, for me, was kind of a shift when I was reading this text. Um, I, I, 
just to think that I'm placing my whole body at God's disposal. It's more than just, it's in our English words, the connotation was more than just offering myself to God. So it says, and Paul, Paul has specific ways of that he wants this, or that he thinks this should look like. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, the church in Rome is believed to have be, been started by these Jews who were here at Pentecost, and they, and they became Christians. They be, started to follow Jesus, and they went back to Rome and started this church. But let me tell you, Jews know sacrifice. It's like it's in their blood or something. Only like two people laughed at that. I thought that was hysterical. It's in their blood. Sacrifice. Blood. It's a seminary joke. But, but seriously, Jews know this sacrifice that Paul is talking about. But Paul switches it, and he's talking about a new kind of sacrifice, a living one, an ongoing daily sacrifice. That's what this text is talking about, that it's not just this one time, uh, once a year, and I, and I can do whatever I want the rest of the time, but it's every single day. This is a living, ongoing sacrifice. This is the kind of sacrifice that would take everything I have, everything I am. Uh, a pastor wrote in this book, he, he wrote, this is why most of us merely donate to God. When you make a donation, you don't alter your lifestyle. It doesn't cost you anything. But Jesus calls us to sacrifice to go the way of the cross. Sacrifice is when you willingly alter your lifestyle for a greater, higher purpose. And this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a lifestyle change here. Because we know what God did for us, we completely change and we give everything we have to God every single day, every moment. One of the fad diets, I don't know if it's a fad, but it kind of feels like it to me, but one of the fad diets right now is the Whole30 has anyone ever done the Whole30? I'm not going to make fun of it, I swear. She's done the Whole30. I looked it up yesterday, and I think that it is great. I actually try to eat similar things sometimes. Um, but the premise is that you eat not only like just whole food, but you're, you're not eating processed foods for 30 days. So, so they also recommend no legumes, no dairy, no grains, and definitely no sugar, which is the downfall for many people. And this, this diet is meant to help reset your body so that you can figure out, so your body can be back to normal and it can be how it's supposed to be in your metabolism. You can feel healthier and happier. And I think it actually works for some people. I actually know someone who did this and it actually helped with a lot of her health issues. But I also know a couple who recently did the Whole30 and the one thing that the husband said to me was, I can't wait to eat sugar again. And I just thought, yeah, I would, have, I would agree but I think that you're missing the point of the Whole30 diet. It's to reset your body so that you don't want that anymore or so that you're not eating as much of it. For him, it was just, this was a donation, probably what his wife wanted to do. And it was a thing to just like check off. the. He just wanted to check it off the list, but it was not, he was not changing his lifestyle. He was going to go back to eating sugar. And I know he has because I was just with him on Friday. He goes back to eating sugar. 
And he knew this. This is the plan. And diets work sometimes, but I think in the long run, we typically go back to our old eating habits because we didn't change our lifestyle or change our mind for that matter, but we'll talk about that in the next verse. So going on. So, um, so presenting our whole selves for God's disposal. It's not this one-time thing, but this is a lifestyle change, ongoing, every day, forever. And Paul says that this is worship. This is how we worship God. Now, they don't really know how to translate that English word. It says that they're your spiritual act of worship. Uh, some translations are, are translating that spiritual, and they don't really know how to translate this word. Um, but the Greek word is logikos which means reasonable or logical. One reason it might be translated as spiritual is that um, at this time, the, the place that you make those decisions, the reasonable decisions, came from your spirit. It was, it was your soul that was making this, this reasonable decision. So that's, that might be one reason why they translated this. But another way to translate this um, sentence would be, this is your logical or rational act of worship. Of all that we know about God and God's mercy, it is reasonable in the next logical step for us to be completely at God's disposal from now on. What does that look like in your life? Are you at God's disposal fully every day? Worship is all about posturing oneself towards God. In many Christian traditions, kneeling is a way of posturing and humbling yourself before God, submitting to God, placing yourself at God's disposal. This is appropriate if we believe that God is who God says he is. So going back to the whole 30, I'm really not making fun of it, I promise. I do think that it's good. But if they believe what they say they believe about food, and if it's true, then the logical thing would be to sacrifice sugar and processed foods for the rest of your life. That would be the logical, not 30 days, but forever. And I think they're, you know, they're just encouraging people to do it for 30 days, get the taste of it. But, but who can really do that? How do you give up something for the rest of your life that you've enjoyed Confession, I am completely and utterly addicted to sugar. It is bad. I need to like, I need an intervention, honestly. But, um, but who can give up something that you've grown accustomed to? Who can completely alter your lifestyle for the rest of your life? This is where we get into verse two, and this is my life verse. Um, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how can we possibly offer ourselves, become completely available to God on a daily basis? Well, Paul says it right here. Well, he doesn't say this, but it's grace. It's grace. There are some stubborn people in this room I know because I'm one of them and Joe is another. I'm sure some of you are stubborn as well. But in one of my uh, more stubborn moments in, early in our marriage, 
Joe was commenting on my stubbornness, saying that he said, I can't make you do anything. If you don't want to do it, you are not going to do it. And that's true. And I would say that's true for most of us, that if we don't want to do it, we're not going to do it. You have to be convinced in order to do it. I'll never forget that moment, but honestly, that was, that was really God's grace in my life, putting a mirror up to me, showing me where I needed to change, that I needed to soften this, this point in my life where I would be open to doing things that I knew God was calling me to do, because honestly, that's what probably what Joe was talking about, if I remember some of those circumstances. Um, and Paul tells us that the only way that we can change, the only way that we can fully submit to God is by not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world. And you're like, well, what is the pattern of this world? Well, it's being stubborn, uh, selfish, apathetic, individualized, greedy, prideful, arrogant, covetous. I mean, we could go on. We know the pattern of this world. It's this pattern that we have grown accustomed to that we are living in. This more, 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 me, me, me. And this pattern of the world, it points us toward looking like everyone else around us. But Paul says, don't conform to everyone around you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Tony Robbins, that self-help guru I mentioned earlier, he's, he also is quoted saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. You guys know that. If you, know, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Well, in our context, in this text, if we look like everyone else around us, well, then nothing is ever going to change. And if we truly desire the world to change, then we have to try something else. Something has to look different. We can't be like everyone around us if God is calling us to change the world, and I think he is. It has to look different. I know, I'm going back to Whole30. In order for Whole30 to change a person's life, it has to go further than just this set of rules on what not to eat for 30 days. A person has to be convinced that the way that they've always eaten isn't going to help how they want to feel. A person has to be convinced, the mind has to be made up that this, change, that this is going to change everything. And it can't just be the behavior that changes. It has to also be our mind. And so this is why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So many times we just give a donation to God, stop short of the full transformation that God is offering us. We merely seek relief. We want relief from this pain of change. So we, so we change a little bit enough to stop the bleeding, to stop these growing pains. So we make a donation, we check something off the list, we, we go to church or we pray, but then once the pain goes away, we go back to our old habits. But Paul knows that our mind is the place of understanding, of judging, of perceiving. When the mind is renewed, our understanding shifts, and that's when our actions begin to change. Paul knows that we need both. We need our bodies to be sacrificed and at God's disposal, and we need our minds to be on the same page, to be renewed to God's thinking. 
when we posture ourselves towards God, then we're in a place to receive God's grace and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. At the same time, when we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to renew our mind and give us our understanding, our actions begin to change. We start to look different. As a pastor, I meet with a lot of people on a regular basis, and through many conversations, the number one thing that I hear that people want from God is they want to know what God wants them to do. What does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Does God want me in this career or this one? Is God going to open these doors? Should I be in this relationship? And practically every other thing of a person's lives, people want to know what God wants for them. And I can relate. This is honestly my prayer in this season. God, what are you doing? What do you want us to be doing? And Paul assures us that when we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, and when we allow our minds to be renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit, then the end of verse 2 says this, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's what we want. We want to know what God's will is. And Paul gives us the framework right here. We present our bodies to God's disposal, and we allow God to renew our minds, and he says that you can test God and find out what God's will is. It's all by God's grace that we can choose to change or to grow. And when we receive God's grace, when we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind, when we place ourselves at God's disposal, we begin to see real, lasting change. So our role in leading change in myself, your role in leading change in yourself, our city, our church, is allowing God to do this work in us, is allowing God to change us. Followers emulate followers. Once people see the change in your life, they will want it too. We, um, we're going to do a communion, sacrament of communion this morning. And um, our leader, Jesus, knew that the only way to sustain his followers for the work ahead, the work that we need to do in ourselves and in the world, was to offer his body and his blood as a sacrifice for us. That through the power of his body and of his blood, these followers then in his presence and us today would be able to do far greater things So on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus looked around the table knowing who was sitting with him and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his followers sitting with him and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to his followers and he said, drink this. All of you, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We have an open table here at Central City. We believe that everyone who is seeking God, whatever that means for you, is welcome to come to this table that Christ has set for us. No matter who you are or what you've done, all are welcome. We'll take communion by ripping off a piece of the bread and dipping it in the juice. And there will be two stations, one that will do this front area and one that will do the back. Um, Just follow. (laughs) 
just follow. Um, uh, so let's pray. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Let them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be transformed through them and that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask the communion servers to come up now and the band as well. Um, and so they, they will dismiss your row um, for you to take communion.